Good morning. Well, this morning, people walked in. Some were cold. And then others felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit. I'm kidding. (laughs) It was a little brisk this morning when uh, people walked in, right? Sorry about that. Um, although it's warmer in here, but uh, we we are waiting to uh, get those things fixed. <laughs> if they would only call us back. It's a wonderful municipality. But anyways, we will get warmth in here. And the Lord does that anyways, right? So if you need to, hopefully it'll be done by next week. But if not, just bring your... You know, sub-zero parka, coat, bring your tent, whatever you need to bring. We're going we're gonna to worship. So this last week, for those of you online, you, you wouldn't know uh, probably because the Lord just told us at the end of service last, last Sunday, but we did a three-day fast this week as a church, a church-wide fast, and Coming into it, the Lord told me, he said, this is going to be a really hard one for you. And kind of made me nervous because fasting usually isn't isn't real difficult for me. Um, And he didn't really explain himself. But I I knew what the fast was about, was about our church pressing in. It was about specifically all the Lord had said is to pray and want him more than we have ever wanted him before. And, and I knew I had a different assignment. My assignment was to pray for the entire church. And then he also laid a few individuals on my heart to really pray for. And so he had me do a dry fast, which if you know what that is, that's no food or water or any liquid or anything else. And I, I've done those before. And surprisingly, when I've done them before, they weren't, I mean, it was hard, but it wasn't like that difficult. And I'm thinking three days of this, okay, well, you know, feeling sorry for myself, whatever. Then I talked with a precious friend who said, oh yeah, I did 14 days like that. And then she said, I knew a pastor who did 40 days like that. And of course, we know Moses did 80 days, 80 days, no food, water, or anything. So immediately, I felt small, <laughs> like, like, okay, I should be able to get through this, this is no problem. And, and the Lord had me praying for this church, and I'm, I'm telling this story for a reason. And so my prayers were for, for all of the individuals in, in Ignition, but then I was focused on a few, a few specifically that the Lord had laid on my heart, thinking I've got to go through all three of these days. Well, that first night was, I mean, boy, the Lord wasn't kidding when he said this is going to be a difficult one for you. And it, wasn't, it was never about hunger. It never, that, that isn't the issue usually for me. I don't know if it was the pain without water or what it was, but my body was on fire. It was literally on fire. Everything in my body hurt. Not my muscles, but 
whatever's inside. Everything hurt. All my joints. I had had a dislocated shoulder from two weeks ago, which that's a separate story I won't go into. But all of a sudden, that just felt so inflamed. It just hurt. Everything hurt. That first night was a rough night. But I, every time I would wake up, which was often, he'd have me praying for these people. The next day, throughout the day, same thing. In, in a lot of pain, except when, it, when I'm sitting up, it wasn't as bad. But again, able to pray for these people. The second night wasn't as bad. Don't know why. I have no idea why. But, I mean, it was still pain. But I have a real high threshold of pain. And it was a lot less that second night. And so I'm coming into the the second day. And probably around 11 11 or 12 in the morning. And and remember, it ends at 6 p.m. But that would be ending the second day. That day at 6 p.m., then there's a whole other day. Right? So about 11-ish, right around there, the Lord tells me, you're done. I'm like, what? He said, you're done. I'm done with what? You're done with the fast. You don't need to fast anymore. Now, by the way, these are times that you don't question the Lord. <laughs> but I did. Well, are, are you sure? I mean, are, are, you, are you sure? It, maybe, maybe, the, maybe that is a false voice telling me, because I'm in pain and I'm hungry, that it's okay to just go ahead and eat. And so I'm going round and round for hours with the Lord. Finally, about 2 p.m., the Lord's like, look, you can listen to me or not, but I'm telling you, you're done. And it was at that time I had confidence, or at least enough confidence to say, okay, Lord, I believe you, I'm done, praise God, but I'm still going to give it to 6 p.m. Just in case you change your mind and you want me to keep going that third day. And I did. And it was, it was cool because he, he did nothing but confirm it from there on out. And 6 p.m., it was done for me. I ate and everything else. And I, I said, that was really cool. I don't know if it did anything. I had a confidence in what it was doing for this church. But I had not talked to any of the people that he told me to pray over or anything else. And then the next day uh, was gifts meeting. That, that was yesterday morning. And at gifts meeting, one of those persons that I had prayed for shared a testimony of about, I think it, I think it was about 10 a.m. or something like that, somewhere around there, mid-morning, um, on Friday immediately tongues had come to them. They had birthed and manifested tongues. Not something they had been trying, certainly something they had been seeking, but it just just started coming out. They, they immediately started hearing in their mind this foreign language, this language that they, what in the world is that? You know, I, I don't dream in some foreign language. That is something that comes from Lord. And, and then in their heart, they knew, okay, it's time, just let it out. And they did. And they said once it, once it was let out in their personal time of prayer, it didn't stop. It went all day. 
And as best as I can figure, time-wise, if I'm understanding timing, it was about an, af- about an hour after that happened that the Lord told me, you're done. You're done. It's okay. It's finished. See, so God will lead you in what you're supposed to do. Don't take anything from him that you deem as small and minimize it. Because what God wants to do in your heart is manifest these things, but he wants to teach you to trust him. He wants to teach you his voice and to trust his voice. Because his voice is creation. His voice changes everything. It will change everything in your life. It will change the very way you move. So it was just such a, such a wonderful testimony to me. And I talked to that person this morning and it, and it was like, yeah, it wouldn't stop all day yesterday either. And this person said, well, I just don't know when I'm supposed to like let it out loud. And I said, you know, the same voice that taught you to trust him in that will tell you when. Because remember that the birthing of the gifts is for the body. It's for the body of Christ. It's not that he doesn't use gifts for us personally. He does, especially tongues. And praying in the Spirit, because our spirit then, when the Holy Spirit prays through us, it it yearns for things we don't even understand. But the gifting itself is for the body, for the bride, for the church. And so he'll, he'll tell you when to let it out. And there may be a time where you're unsure, but trust in the voice that got you there in the first place and know that that voice will not let you down. If you are not in known sin, please understand this. If you're in known sin, that's a different ballgame because you are knowingly building up a wall between you and God and between you and His voice. Because his voice is not the only one out there. (laughs) Believe me. But I can tell you by personal experience, his can be by far the loudest. And you, you can know the difference. But if you have known sin in your life, you're putting up a barrier. It's like you're putting a screen in front of his mouth. And trying to listen through this screen. Now, unknown sin is different. And we all have these things. Unknown sin is what David cried out and said, show me anything. Show me anything. Anything that I have placed between me and you. Any barrier that I have put between you and I, God, show it to me so I could confess it. So I could get rid of it. Be done with it. Because I don't want that barrier between us. When we do this, it's like pulling down that screen. Because, see, that's the power of the blood of Jesus. Nothing will melt that screen more than His blood. And when, when the Lord reveals something to you, if it's unknown, if it's known, you know what it is. Take it to the Lord. Give it up. Ask forgiveness. Let that be torn down. But even the unknown ones, when He reveals it, put it up there. Let His blood take down that screen. 
Don't assume either the unknown will block you from the voice of God. Because God is not a harsh God. He does not withhold His voice and not tell you why. He will tell you why. Now, it's up to us to listen. It's up to us to act upon it. But man, there is nothing more important in a Christian's life, in anyone's life, than God's Word. That includes the 66 books written by over 40 authors that outlines the full character of God. But it is also His personal communication with you. Back and forth. See, that's the relationship part. That's the relationship where we get to know Him through that communication. That's what I know this fast was about. And rest assured, when God calls us to do something for a reason, He'll accomplish that reason if we say yes and we do it. Flat out. It's just truth. There's no gray area there. That's exactly how God works. There's never a time in the Word of God where it was any different than that. Nor, nor in the lives here. So let's, let's pray and open up this morning. Father, we worship You. We praise You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, thank You for this fast. Thank You for what it has made manifest already. But thank You more than that, the 98% that has been birthed and not even seen yet, which is what You told me. Because there's a power coming in these giftings that the world has not seen yet. And the fact that it hasn't manifest isn't because of resistance on either side. It's because you will release it in your perfect timing. Because the placement of everything in this world must be ready. For those to receive you who will receive you. To those who will bring restitution, those who are called to bring restitution. So Lord, we trust you, we thank you, and we praise you, God. I pray that you fill my mouth this morning with your words. Allow nothing of myself to come through. God, I merely want to be a vessel used by you. You've called us to be your hands and feet. So take all of me and do with it what you will, God. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, it's interesting. (laughs) Sorry. It's interesting because I've been in the book of Ezekiel this week and I've gone through it probably four times. And there are certain prophets that you you just kind of have to feel sorry for. I mean, Ezekiel's one of those. Jeremiah was another one. It's like, it's like, can you give him just a hint of something good? Especially poor Jeremiah. I mean, come on. 
Ezekiel was one of those who was bringing the proclamation of judgment against God's chosen people, against Israel. And as I'm going through this, I'm, Lord, what are you wanting me to glean from it? And, and I mean, there's so much that he shows, but overall, this feeling overwhelmed me of how God must feel. How God must feel about His creation. Not about how God must feel about me or the remnant, but how He must feel about His entire creation. One that by His own breath He brought about. One that He sent His only Son to die for because originally His creation turned on Him. And then time and time again giving His creation opportunity, opportunity after opportunity to have relationship with Him, to love Him. And time and time again, creation as a whole Understand, I'm saying as a whole, rejecting Him. And saying, no, this is our world, not yours. Saying that to the Creator. (laughs) That's like, as the Bible says, the clay saying to the potter, what are you doing? You can't do this. And yet the potter's like, wrong. (laughs) We're going to start over again. But how it must break his heart. If you don't think God goes through emotions, you haven't read the Word of God. The Word of God is full of his emotion. It's full of his joy when we build relationship with him. It's full of his sadness when things happen. I mean, Jesus... In Luke, I think it's Luke 19, if I recall, Jesus was going into Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. And he said, oh, if you would have only known this is the time of your visitation. This was the time for you to recognize your king. Literally what had been intended before Israel ever even asked for a king. You know, that's where they went off in the first place when they wanted a human king, when they, they were promised God. God would be their king. So Jesus wept. He had this emotion of sorrow over His people. God certainly has anger. He has righteous indignation. When we turn against Him, when His creation turns against Him, there's consequences. Of that. Much of that is what the book of Ezekiel is about. And and I want to go through some of this this morning because our idea of God, and when I say our, I'm not talking about the remnant, I'm not even talking about, you know, much of the bride, I'm talking about his creation. Our idea of God is so displaced from reality is so separated from the truth. And i got to tell you, it's our fault. 
It's the bride's fault. The bride has not made clear who God is. God is love. But God is also justice. God is all of those emotions that we talked about. I mean, where do you think the emotions come from? He created emotion. Because emotion is wrapped around love. It's the enemy that took that and messed with it and turned it inside out. Love was never supposed to be what it means today. When you, when you watch the TV, what's love? Love to this world is sex. Love is some sort of connection that brings some sort of highlight in our life whether it be for the moment or whatever. That was never love. That was never intended to be love. Love is not that. Love is so much deeper than that. Love is sacrifice. That's what Jesus said. If you really love somebody, you'll give your life for them. And he demonstrated that on the cross. So before we go to Ezekiel and hear all the woes of his prophecies. I want to. I want to begin in the book of John because this is what the world knows, or is this is what the world is told, and it's truth. But I got to tell you, it bothers me. I love the fact. Growing up, you you'd see John three sixteen everywhere, right? You know, Super Bowl right behind the 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 kick. You do big John three sixteen sign, and I used to think, yes, awesome. That's awesome. If only people read that. But if only they would keep reading. Because the world knows of this. Let's go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what you hear. That's what the church has pushed. That's what the church has put out. There is an option for you, world. There's an option for you to believe in the one who loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. That he gave his life for you. He didn't come to bring condemnation into the world. He came to love you. So he's just standing there with his arms open wide. Go to him when you feel like it. He'll just be standing there. He'll just be open and waiting for you. Not ever saying the emotion that he feels upon the rejection of his creation. So just for a moment, let's keep reading. Verse 18. Remember, we've been telling the world, He did not come to condemn you. He loves you. Jesus died for you. I suggest people continue reading. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Okay, that's a heavy word. Now you can see why behind the goalposts they don't put up John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19. No, because that will turn people off. We can't tell the world that it is already condemned. We can't tell the world that there is condemnation. Wait a second. There is no condemnation in love. We can't tell the world that it's a condemned world because that's not love. And the second the church starts believing that, then over time what happens? Love starts to shift. The understanding of love begins to shift. Well, what is love today? Love is that bumper sticker that I can't even explain where it's got all those things and says, coexist, yeah. I don't even know all those symbols, just like LGBTQ, what are they doing now? I don't even know, it changes. Because see, their love changes. The world's love, how they picture God's love for them, and, and by the way, Whether they admit it or not, they believe in a God. Unless they really believe they created everything, they believe in a God. Some may be deceived by evolution. I really think that train is passed. I mean, people have to be pretty stupid today to believe in evolution, even though, is is that still taught in our schools? I don't know, that along with, you know, everything else. But so, so basically, truth changes, love changes in the eyes of the world as it makes them feel better to include. See, that is not love. Love is truth. Love is The fact that we were born condemned. Do you understand that? We're born in sinful flesh. The moment we can understand a choice, the Bible teaches, is the moment we have to accept or reject. But from that moment on, we have opportunity to receive. If we don't, with understanding, if we don't, we're condemned. It's as simple as that. Why? Because we were born into that condemnation. We were born into literally deserving that condemnation because of the authorities in this world. But that's why Jesus came and died. And gave his life on the cross and rose again. It sits at the right hand of the Father. He did that to give us hope. He, he did that to give us real love. So that we no longer had to stand in condemnation. So you have to understand the condemnation is our choice. It's not God's choice. The fact that we're in condemnation is a fact because of his righteousness, his law, 
But Jesus came and offered an opportunity for that law to be fulfilled even in our lives, to be covered by His blood. And that, that's, what it, that's what He's saying here. Who, He said, uh, again, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what's what's God saying here? He said, this is the judgment. What is the judgment? That it's going to be seen. That everything in secret is going to be seen. We're seeing that manifest today all over. You're seeing that manifest in the government. And you're going to see it more and more. What you see between now and the end of the year is going to turn this world upside down. I mean, literally going to turn our nation upside down. And by the way, in a good way. In a good way, because the judgment is the, the exposed. Right? There's two facets to that exposed. We just read it. Two facets to it. Those who are not in Christ, who hide their sin, it will be exposed for the sake of judgment. But those who are in Christ and have Him, hold Him in their heart, have relationship with Him and do His will in their lives, they're going to be exposed too. They're going to be exposed as well. Because you're going to see that in the world. You're going to see like right now, this is the darkness that controls the United States and the world at large. This down here, I won't even call it the bride. Because part of the bride is up here. I'm going to call this the remnant. Those who have relationship with Jesus Christ, who give everything to Him in their life. This is what it looks like right now. You're seeing exposure, exposure, exposure. Down here, you're starting to see exposure, exposure, exposure. And this is what's going to happen. Is that right there. As the world falls because of their exposure of sin, so will the remnant bride rise with their exposure of relationship to Jesus Christ. That's happening right now. And we've been talking about it for a long time. You wait until the Holy Spirit falls. When the Holy Spirit falls in measure, which is coming, I literally expect it any time, any day. Lord, do it this morning in Jesus' name. But when that happens, it's boom! Like that. It's no longer this slow process of, yeah, if I really look closely, I'm going to see that. No. It's going to be in your face. The only thing I encourage you is don't wait. Don't wait to jump on board right here. Don't wait to build relationship with Jesus Christ to be a part of that movement because He is offering it to 
all of His creation. Even though it's rejected by most, He still offers it. I want to go one other place. (laughs) Sorry, before we get into Ezekiel. I know. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, if you, if you really want to know who you are in Christ as a Christian, read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I mean, really, the entire book is amazing, but 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, and 6. And, I mean, it will tell you who you are in Christ. Absorb it. Eat it. Take it into your life. Pull it apart. You could spend the next three years in the first few chapters of that book and still not get to the bottom of it. I love what Paul says here, but there's a particular point that the Lord wants me to make here. I'm just going to read, though, for the the setup of it. Uh, We'll start at verse 4. Of chapter 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, which by the way is, is an understanding of foreshadowing because God is outside of time. This isn't a decision of, well, you get to be saved, you don't, and you do, and you don't, and you do, and you don't. That's not what it was. God is outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning. He gives us free will and free choice. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know what that choice is. He knows good and well what that choice will be. That's what it's talking about here. So again, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention. Not that you shouldn't have paid attention to those. I don't mean that. But this is the point. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. We've talked about the mystery quite a bit. And boy, this messes with the intellectuals, with the theologians. You know, Lord, I, I, I feel bad for all the seminaries that make their money on knowing the word of God and the history of it, and the richness of it, and this and that, if they don't dive into the person of who he is and understand it on a one-on-one basis, they only see this as a history book, whether they say it or not. That, that's literally the definition of their thought process. doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. They, they do love the Lord. Forgive me for saying it. They just don't know him. They don't understand him. Not even close. He's knocking on the door and they've got their earplugs in listening to worship music or something. It's like, take them out. You know, somebody's knocking on the door. The mystery of his will, 
is verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, God right there just took a 30,000 foot view of his master plan of what this mystery is. This mystery of what it meant to graft in the Gentile. Therefore, it made it equal access for the Gentile and the Jew. That means everybody on earth, because everybody's one of those two. Right? Equal access to God. Equal access to becoming His Son. Equal access to building relationship with Him on a personal level. And He said this master plan is for the, what? Fullness of time. Now that's an interesting statement. I'm not going to dive into this here, but I really want to encourage you. Spend this next week. Dive into that statement the fullness of time, and what that means. Guys, I'm telling you, we are in the fullness of time now. This is not the fullness of time after the thousand-year reign, because what he's talking about is the very plan that grafted the two together in the first place. The fullness of time is what he's talking about here is the culmination of the bride, the church. So this plan that he has, that is to be done in the fullness of time, is to unite all things in him. Boy, that sounds awfully familiar. Almost like a a 633 verse. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew. And all these things will be added to you. Literally bringing his kingdom to be made manifest on this earth. That is his plan. To unite all things in him. Not just his people, mind you. But all things. To unite creation itself in him. I mean, that's his goal. That's his master plan. That is the mystery that was hidden in the entire Old Testament. Even though knowing the mystery, you go back and you see it clear as a bell. Oh my goodness, it's all over the Old Testament. If you understand the mystery of what God wants to do with His bride, bringing things to fruition in all complete unity in Him, you go back and you see it. You see it in the Old Testament. I see it in Ezekiel. Because his bride does many of the same things. So it's to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That means there's, if if you got the kingdom of God here, kingdom of the earth here, to unite them together is this. That means making manifest his kingdom On this earth. That's what he is doing right now. Right now. You can believe it or not. Doesn't stop it from happening. You could get on board or not. Doesn't stop it from happening. He's already heard the cries of his remnant. 
He will not turn a deaf ear. He will not turn away because He has already said yes. And He already prophesied it thousands of years ago. That in the fullness of time, that's what He's going to do. And He's doing it now. It will be through the culmination of His Holy Spirit being poured out like never before. Remember, it's that, it's that fall and rise simultaneously. You're going to see that as dark as it gets, and it, it's going to get a whole lot darker. It's going to get really, really dark. As it gets dark, the light is going to get brighter. Don't think for a second that your neighbors aren't going to notice something as it gets dark and your house is lit up. And that could be a metaphor. I, I kind of think it's going to be real, too. I mean, I'm, you know, if the lights go out, you know, Lord, I could turn my generator on, but probably only have gas for maybe a couple days. So I need your light. You just plug on into that and bring light. And guess what? He's going to. He did it for the children of Israel in Goshen. And they didn't even have generators. They had light. So will we. And the world's going to see it. Are you ready for people to come to your house and say, why do you have light? Why are you not afraid of army trucks rolling down the boulevard? Of tanks rolling down the boulevard? Guys, don't be surprised, please. For you who've been here a while, you shouldn't be surprised. That's coming. And it's coming very quickly. Don't be afraid of it. Because it's literally the tool God is using to bring down that global world and bring up His remnant. Because that light is going to draw. That light is going to draw them. It's to unite all things. Now we're finally going to turn to Ezekiel. (laughs) And don't worry, I have only four passages. So we'll be done by about 3.30. No, I, I don't know how far I'll get in this. I, I really, maybe, maybe it's going overboard this week because last week when I answered questions, I didn't, I was answering questions and I was saying about, you know, the Word of God, but I didn't turn to the Word of God. <laughs> that kind of bugged my wife. And so, so maybe this, this uh, week the Lord is saying, okay, you know, you can make up for that and we're going to go through the, Entire Old Testament. So. No, I'm kidding. Ezekiel chapter 8. By the way, Ezekiel is a different, different kind of prophet because, one, I, I said that you know, he, he has to deal with so many negative things, but, but man, what the Lord said to him when he called him. He said, look, I'm going to call you to a hard-headed people, and they're not going to listen to you. He said, but don't worry, I've made you hard-headed too. And, and, you know, like a ram, you could just come against them and, and it'll be okay. Don't worry about it, don't be afraid. But if you don't go, I'm going to hold you responsible for them. Ooh. Ouch! There's no, there's no Jonah running and hiding on that one. 
right? He would be responsible if he didn't tell them. And God already knew they wouldn't listen. He said, that's not even my point. He said, my point is that they'll know there was a prophet among them. So it must have been afterwards, because clearly they didn't listen to him at that time. But Ezekiel chapter 8, and I'm not going to read all this, but it stood out to me. I probably should read it. It's 10 after. Okay, I can read fast. (laughs) We're just going to read All right, Ezekiel chapter 8, I'm going to start at verse 5. He's taking Ezekiel around. He brings him to the temple. Now, by the way, keep in mind at this time what actually happened. This was a big deal, guys. This was literally when God took his glory from the temple that had been there for so long. He took his presence, his Shekinah glory, he took it from the from the temple and took it away. And guess what? It never has come back. It's not back. It's not back. Or not back in the temple. Instead, that presence was offered to us as a seal and offered to us individually in relationship with him. That's what we mean by the falling of the Holy Spirit, by the way. It is the Shekinah glory. It is, it is the Spirit of God that falls upon our lives here. Okay? I don't, I don't mean to sidetrack there. But he, he takes Ezekiel into, into, this, uh, into the temple, and he wants to show them. And, and through this entire thing, I, I just kept feeling the, the hurt of the Lord. The emotion of him. The, the rejected feelings that he had. And I want to point out a few of them. Verse 5, Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north. And behold, a north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was the image of jealousy. Now just so you know what this image of jealousy that was, that was there, it was put there by Manasseh. Earlier, and you see that in Second Kings, I think, and Second <clears throat> Kings twenty-one. But it was called Ashira, okay, or or I can't pronounce this Astarte, Astarte, something like that. But this was an actual image. It was supposedly the Syrian Venus, which was the wife of Baal. Okay, this this was. Bottom line, it was a stupid God. It was a stupid God that they worshipped, and Manasseh put it up at a very key place. I mean, he put it up literally at the entrance of the temple. That means everybody going into the temple to worship God had to see that. It literally overshadowed them. And, and he calls it here, in the entrance, was the image of jealousy. It was the image that made God jealous. Verse 6, And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here, to drive me far from my sanctuary? 
but you will see still greater abominations. He's saying, look, 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 because it, it hasn't happened yet. His glory's still there. But, but what he's saying to Ezekiel is, is, look, they're driving me out. and You're about to see me leave, but here's why I'm going to lay out why. I don't leave for no reason, but I'm laying out why. Verse 7, And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. So I went in and I saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all of the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel with Jezaniah, the son of Saphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Each in his room of pictures. For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken his land. Wow, that hits home. Because so many people, so many Christians say that. Boy, God has forgotten about us or something. Even with all these things going on and these atrocities happening and everything else, man, where is God in this? He's, he's forgotten about us. Even Christians are saying that. But certainly the world is saying that. Because they're told to say that. They're told to believe that. In here, they were saying this instead of repenting. Knowing good and well that repentance would have changed the tide of everything. Now, these are the leaders of the church. That's why I said earlier, this is the church's fault. This is the church's fault. Putting out this, this message of hope and love and and we can all be inclusive. And, you know, we'll just have churches now where it's just kind of like the church for everybody. Here, you can go in this door or you could go in this rainbow door. Or you could sit here, you could sit there. And, and we have bathrooms that, that if you don't know who you are, I don't know, go out by the tree. Hug a tree. Go to the bathroom at the same time. I mean, that sounds stupid, right? I don't know, maybe that's coming next. It's ridiculous. This world doesn't know who they are. They cry out saying, we know who we are, that's the problem. No, you don't know who you are, that's the problem. Real love is not coming against them. Real love is coming against what is controlling them. Because it is a spirit that controls them. It is a spirit that tells them, you are not a boy, you should be a girl. Or, how about this week, you be a dog. I saw a video of, the guy had to be 30 years old. He's laying on his back with a diaper on, and, and some girl is, like, putting a pacifier in his mouth. I'm like, okay, maybe the baby needs to be slapped. 
you know, wake up. Wake up and understand. But us as a church, we don't know how to deal with that. Because we're fighting the wrong thing. You have to fight that person. That person isn't even in control of their own life. Fight what controls them. That is exactly, by the way, what the remnant has been doing. And if you, if you think that all this chaos that's going on right now, all this exposure that's going on right now, boy, that just kind of happenstance happened. You're full of it. And being in the pulpit, I won't say what, but you are completely full of it. Because what it is, is the remnant has been fighting the correct fight. The remnant has been going after the spirit that is in control of all these things. And by the way, the heads of all that have been cut off. That's why it's so confusing. That's why exposure's coming. That's why they stand up literally and say things like, what in the world did he say that? I literally just gave it all away. Uh, uh. Is it, wasn't there a movie where... What was that? Liar, liar. That was it, yes. It's like, I, you know, and he has to say all the truth, and he didn't mean to. That's what they're doing, and it's going to happen more and more and more. You want to get a kick. You want a real live reality TV. Watch the news. Watch the news. Watch some of these things live. It's like, yeah, he didn't mean to say that. He didn't mean to say that. They didn't mean to do that. And the Lord has even said that's going to get more and more interesting. And in fact, the Lord used the word entertaining. I don't know if we're supposed to enjoy this. I feel bad because I do. I do. I don't enjoy the demise of the people that are under this deception. Let me be clear. But when that deception is made transparent, then they're going to have a choice. They're going to have a choice for freedom. They're going to have a choice for real freedom in Jesus Christ. For the first time perhaps in their life, they're going to have a choice for real freedom in Jesus Christ. Because the church is finally standing up and is going against the demonic spirits that have had control for so long. Their demise has been spoken, I declare it in Jesus' name. The church will not stop until every last one of them is gone from this earth. They'll come back another day, but that won't be on our day. That'll be in the Lord's choosing when He opens that pit in Revelation chapter 9. But we'll be watching that from the mezzanine, so... Whatever. It's not my time. But I declare it in Jesus' name. There will not be a day that we will not go after the enemy until the enemy is gone and bound. Because that is what brings that unity he talked about in Ephesians. Let's keep reading because it's really getting long. There were a couple other things he showed in verse 14. 
Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat a woman weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz was the, the Syrian Adonis, okay? Another one of those Greek gods, whatever. I, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but, but presumably, Tumus had done something in his life, whatever, so now he has to spend half of his time on earth and half of his time in the abyss, in the, in the underworld, if you will. That's the history of it. And these, these, these are weeping over that. Weeping that, that this God that they made, that they worship, not even the God who is really God, they're weeping that this God has to spend time in the underworld. First of all, what, what an atrocious waste of time. But why in the world would you? I, I mean, how about, how about pray that he spends all his time in the underworld? You know, why in the world are these ladies there weeping over this? Because that idol worship had taken over their lives. The spirits that were on them were in control of their lives just like they are today with with transgenderism, with, with gay marriage, with, you know, all this stuff, everything against God. They are driven by the spirits that control them. It's no different. Understand that. We may not have an idol that we set up and weep to because it has to spend half of its time underground. Okay, but we have idols that we weep over because they broke a nail. Oh, you know, they're, they're so hurt this week, and, and I see how distraught they are. I'm going to cry with them. Oh, the royal family, this, this, this happened in their life, and, and I'm just so tied into the royal family that I'm going to have that emotion with them. Don't think it doesn't happen today. I mean, if any of you are on Facebook, you got to see that. It's like, seriously, are, are these people six years old? But yet it's rampant. Why do you think social media is such a big thing? Why is it the number one marketing tool in the world? Because people don't know how to live their own lives because they're driven by other spirits. That's who we're fighting. We're fighting those other spirits. But those are the same things that were going on here in Ezekiel's day. Is the same thing going on right now. The last one that he, that he showed him. And he uh, brought me in, verse 16, brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, behold, the porch at the altar were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here? That they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still to further anger. Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Now, that, that's a Jewish saying back then. It, it's kind of like today saying, snub your nose up at somebody. It's the same thing. What they're doing is they're snubbing their nose up to the Creator and worshiping the creation. That's literally what that means. That's how God took that 
that it wasn't just that, oh, they think the sun's God, so they're worshiping God. No, he took that, that they were snubbing their nose up at the real God and choosing a God who they thought they could control. If, that, if you don't see the applications of that today, then you're blind. Because we do that all the time where we replace God in society. We replace God in even our lives. Even Christians replace God in ways of spending time with Him. Well, yeah, I give Him, you know, about two hours on a Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe occasionally some other time. I'll give Him my five minutes in the morning. And, and I kind of separate that away because my life is my life. And, and by the way, there are reasons why my life is my life. Because, you know, I've got to make money. I've got to provide for my kids. You know, I have a relationship that I've got to work on. And, and after all that, I've got to find time for golf. Or whatever, whatever we do. Right? These are the things. Instead of including God in every single one of those things, which He wants to be. So he's laying out here all these things that they were doing at the time. This is where it gets tough. Remember, the Father, he presides over a court, a court of law. That is the entire makeup of the Word of God. If you don't know that, look at it through that lens. It's going to stand out to you. His words have weight because His words are law. Do you understand? So He's pointing out to Ezekiel here evidence. He's saying, here's my evidence. Here's what's going on. Now let me show you what I'm going to do. Chapter 9, verse 4. We'll skip down to verse 4. The Lord said to him, through the city, this was he, he called, and this was effectively an angel, but, but he called this angel, and he said, Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sign, who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. This is the separation. See, he wasn't telling that to a man. He was telling that to somebody who knew the hearts. Who knew the hearts of those people. And he was to walk through, and each one who had a heart to choose God got a mark. Got a mark on their forehead. And to the others, verse 5, and to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one whom has the mark. Now it was shortly after this that his glory left the temple. It, it came from that judgment. But, but understand 
the weight of what it means to turn away as a society from God. The weight of that is heavy when His justice, His holiness can no longer be pressed. But even in that, He said, go mark the ones who who believe. Go mark the ones who believe. He also gives us each opportunity. His creation will always have opportunity as long as there is breath in their lungs. His creation will have opportunity to believe Him and to receive Him. It comes through repentance. I want you to turn to chapter 14. Verse 6. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord of God, the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, which by the way, that means everybody. Israel and Gentiles. Everybody who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. See, what was happening here is people were not listening to God. They would live their own lives, do what they want in their lives, and then they would go to the prophet and say, okay, tell me something. Boy, if that isn't happening today, that's happening today. We are going to operate our churches how we want to, and we're going to go to hear the voice of God to somebody who's only going to like tell us what we want to hear. Maybe we're going to invite somebody in, and, and, and we're going to pay them so they give us good things. I, I have a real problem with, with people that do that, and I, I don't want to speak to anybody you know, any, any particular people um, directly at all. And it, it's not in here anyways. But I have a real problem with prophets, true prophets, that are put up on a stage in the front of people and say, okay, come get in line and get your prophecy. Now, I'm not saying those prophecies aren't from the Lord. Because they very well could be, but God's not for sale. I can tell you more times than not, the truth is not heard in that way. Because God wants to get our attention personally. He wants us to hear His voice. Do you know every single one of you has the right to hear His voice as much as I do? And me, you. I have no birthright that allows me a greater knowledge of understanding the Word of God more than anybody else. Neither do you. We all have that right. When we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, we're stamped with that right. We're stamped with the Holy Spirit. And He said, yes, relationship is right there for you, but you got to pursue it. Seek Him, you'll find Him. But you have to pursue it. You have to give Him every nook and cranny of your life. And He'll open up more for you than you could possibly imagine. 
So He gives us that opportunity. Now, by the way, He points something else out here. And I, I, I'll, I'll throw this out just because I want to confuse everybody. Verse 9, And if a prophet is deceived, if, if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, in other words, the prophet speaks a word, right? But he's not hearing that word from God. He may think it's God, but it's something else. He's deceived. He is under deception. If the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. Chew on that one for a little bit. I don't mean to leave you confused, but if you want to understand how God's justice works, go and look up 1 Kings 22 and see what it means when in his counsel he allows things for the sake of sin. When it was time for Ahab to be killed, it was time for Ahab to die, so he asked in his counsel how this could be done. And a false spirit, a demonic spirit, literally, said, I can put a lying, a lying tongue, I think it was, or something like that, into the 400 prophets or whatever there were. And the Lord said, yes, that will work. Go do it. Now, I'm not saying this to confuse you guys. I'm saying because His holiness is critical. Do you understand that? His holiness is critical to Him. It's a piece of Him He cannot give up. It's a piece of Him that He cannot shed just because we don't listen. His holiness is His holiness. Because He is God. And there comes a point where that door does get shut in our lives, just like in 1 Kings 22 where that door got shut for Ahab. So He always gives us this opportunity to repent. Yeah, that that last one, the next one I won't go into for the sake of time, but I do want to go to this last one, and I'm closing here. Ezekiel 21. And the reason, when I, when, when I went over this, as I was going over this, it just, it hit heavy on me. It hit heavy on me because we've seen this. We've seen, several of us have seen this, this picture, this vision of an angel sharpening a sword. Ask Shannon. I know Shannon's seen it. I've seen it. I think Brooke has seen it. or some. There, there, at least three of us have seen this. Of a sword being sharpened. And the last time that I saw it, it was already done. He, he wasn't, and I think you saw the same thing, Shannon. It was already done. He's no longer sharpening his sword. He's done. Now, I don't know what angel this was. You call it the angel of death. You call it whatever you want. But whatever it is, his sword is already sharp. But I want to read in, in verse 9, halfway through the verse 9. Well, let's start at 8. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, a sword. A sword is sharpened and also polished. Sharpened for slaughter. Polished to flash like lightning. 
what the Lord has laid on my heart. And I know this is so much for those online. Is He's giving an opportunity. He's giving an opportunity to trust Him. He's giving opportunity to repent and build relationship, real relationship with Him. This is not just a single choice. It is a choice you make every single day of your life. But the cost of not, and I, man, if you guys know me, I'm a positive guy. You may not be able to tell listening to my sermons on Sunday morning. I'm a positive guy. This is not easy. Man, I'd love more than anything just to rah, rah, yes, and let's go watch the Bronco game. Man, God took that away from me years ago. I'm not even, I think the Broncos are still a team, but I haven't seen them in years. I haven't watched football in years. Because see this call from the heart of the Lord is desperate. Just like it was in, throughout the book of Ezekiel. God's heart was desperate for them to know Him and to know truth. We have that opportunity, but it's a choice. It's a choice He wants us to make now, and you can. You can, but you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You do it with Him. And He puts you around people that sharpen that iron. That's why He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, the bride, the remnant bride, we're to come together because iron sharpens iron. And I'll tell you what, iron wrapped around iron is something different. That's how you get these cables that hold up bridges like the Bay Bridge in San Francisco. These cables that that begin with a strand of, of steel wrapped around another strand and another strand and all these strands wrapped together. Now all of a sudden you've got this, this wire, you know, this big and it won't be broken. That's what God wants for the body of Christ. That's what He wants for His remnant. That's the times in which we live now. He is unifying His bride to bring His kingdom here. Give that to Him today. Give Him every piece of you. Don't hold a thing back. You guys are at a unique time because we are where we're about to walk through that threshold of that door. Whether you see it or not, don't hold anything back. Come on up, Lex. I want us to just bow our heads, if you would. And just talk to the Lord for a moment. And just ask him, as David did, the verses I've said now countless times, to search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. 
see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to reveal anything to you like we do when we prepare for communion. Is there anything at all, God, that needs to be laid before you? Is there any even unknown belief level that you've been asking of me? Maybe there is a trust level that you've been asking of me and I've held back because it didn't seem reasonable or I had a little anxiety about it or, yeah, but I I didn't want to let my walls down because it required interacting with others. And the Lord is asking Will you lay this down, confess it, give it to me? Will you allow my holiness to completely just take you over? We sang a beautiful worship song today. I will make room for you. And one of the lines says, this is my surrender. This is my surrender. What is it that needs to be surrendered? Many of us are not, are keeping as short account of our sin as as we've ever known how to do because we just love Jesus so much. So that may not be the issue. It might be that he's asking you to believe him for more of how He wants to use you or for more of just who he is and his ways that he desires to entrust you with. That perhaps until this point, the surrender of leaning on our own understanding, the surrender of maybe how we've seen scripture just needs to be given back to the Lord. Where you just say, Lord, I just want to know who you are. And I want to know your word in a way that has no barriers, no preconceived ideas, but completely is totally everything and only you. Use me. Fill me. Would you pray that prayer in your heart? I'm going to pray as we close out the message. And I want you to just be praying with me for your own life and asking God to show you what you need to see about where you are with him. He loves you so much. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, then Romans 12 or 8, 1 is true for you. You are no longer in condemnation because of the blood of Jesus. But sanctification, the justification is is done. But now pursuing him in that relationship called sanctification is still your choice. And he just wants to just completely take over as he will 
with every heart that's given to him. Father, I just come before you now in the name of Jesus. God, I just acknowledge you that you are God and there is no other. I worship you. I praise you. And God, I, I ask in my own life that you would reveal any area of unknown attitudes, thoughts, even agreements with the ways of this world, with the, the, the human norms that we kind of settle into as just the way things are. God, as you've been trying to open my eyes more and more, that I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the, the darkness, the rulers of the darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. God, you're trying to open my eyes. So forgive me for any agreements that I have given with even the, that the way things are are the way things have to be rather than trusting you and seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. God, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I pray that prayer in earnest would be just given to you by every single person hearing my voice right now. That you would make us aware, that you would open our eyes this morning, give us the mind of Christ fully to know the battle we're in, to understand why you gave us the armor you gave us in Ephesians 6. Because you want us to be awake and to see what it is that you're doing, your holiness, your justice, and to walk in truth. So God, forgive us for anything that we've agreed with and god then when we identify that agreement if we've given agreement to even the spirit of fear to then understand that when we confess our sin first john 1 9 you are faithful you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but then the tables turn when we're forgiven and we get to take that authority that spirit Bind it in the name of Jesus and cast it to the abyss. Thank you, God, for what the blood of Jesus paid for, for our victory. It paid for us to walk in freedom. But if we just do the first part and we don't do the second part by getting rid of that authority. God, then help us to remember that we walk in that power. To trample and tread on snakes and scorpions. God, I just pray that you would give us the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you are saying to equip us in the days in which we live so that we will walk in the light but as children of light in you, Lord Jesus. God, I just praise you. I love you, God. Help us to not just have this be a decision of the mind and heart, but an actual transformation that when we step, when we make our next decision, when we go and do or speak our next words, they will be in agreement with the decision of our heart right now. Because faith without works is dead. So God, help us. We love you, God. 
I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for all that you are doing. Thank you that even though there are so, such heavy parts in your word, God, you are such a mighty, awesome God. And you are calling us to these great and mighty things into greater fellowship and closeness with you so that we can just know you more in this beautiful unity with you and with one another in Christ Jesus. We praise you and I just commit all of this. Take this word and continue to drive it deeper into our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.